Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You are tuned to the Nighttime Podcast, focused on the fringe of Canada. Hello, listeners. I have something a little bit different, but very, very dark for you tonight. The story we're about to hear centers around a world-famous professional wrestling entertainer who in 2007, while at the peak of his career, committed the brutal murders of two of the people closest to him, his wife and his young son. Why he did it and what led to these tragic events are still the source of speculation. And then... There's the story of how this was handled by his employer, the WWE. Well, we're about to get into all of it. Tonight, in this episode of Nighttime, we're going to be joined by my good friend and a lifelong wrestling fan, Aaron Corbett. And our story is the rise and the fall of the Canadian crippler, Chris Benoit. Wrestling icon Chris Benoit had canceled a pay-per-view appearance at Sunday's Vengeance event in Houston, citing personal reasons. World Wrestling Entertainment says it asked authorities to check on Benoit and his family after friends said the wrestler had sent them strange text messages. On Monday, authorities went out to the Benoit's gated home in suburban Atlanta. There they found the bodies of the wrestler, his wife Nancy, and their seven-year-old son Daniel in three separate rooms. Aaron, it's uh, I'm very fortunate to have you on this episode because you're going to be my um, you're going to be able to make up for all the knowledge I don't have about wrestling entertainment or as I call it wrestling. You're you're a big wrestling fan, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. My whole life I've been a uh, pretty big fan of uh, pro wrestling. Let's just hit um tackle this right out of the gate for the people who don't who aren't into wrestling people are going to be like it's fake there's way more to wrestling than whether or not it's fake the, the way i see it is it's more like theater I, the, for me at least when it, when i was into it as a kid the wrestling match to me was only say 15 or 20 percent of the entertainment what i always enjoyed was the storyline and you know when they would talk to the camera and be like i'm gonna get this guy all that stuff is what I was into. What What is it about wrestling that uh, you as a grown man still enjoy? Um, I guess it's the whole package for me. It has action. It has, you know, storylines, like characters that are over the top and some are not as over the top. But it's it's just kind of the the, the whole production of it from the backstage politics to the live crowd and it moves so quickly and it, and it adapts so quickly, like on the spot, you know, like nothing is written in stone and done over and over again until it's right. It's just 
it happens right in front of you mm-hmm. and what you see is what you get and and going back to the whole argument about it being fake it's 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 a lot more real than the non-wrestling fan thinks you know mm-hmm. the, those matches in the ring like a lot of a lot of wrestlers and in particular the one that we'll be talking about tonight work a really stiff style where they're really laying into each other mm-hmm. and you know these performers are are getting hurt all the time and and when they're taking these moves a lot of people kind of chalk it up to oh it's so choreographed and 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 and, and yeah they're as safe as they can be but a lot more real action happens in that ring than people think. Yeah, and I think this story maybe highlighted some of that for for me. Um, when I was reading and learning about this, it was uh, it, I knew there was a lot of injuries that came with the sport and stuff, but I don't think I realized it was it could be as bad as it as it is uh, until until I read and learned about this. Now, for me, like as far as an interest in wrestling. I, as a little kid, I liked it, but I feel like I got out of it when I was, say, like maybe 12 or something. So there's been like 20 years of stuff that's happened surrounding wrestling since I lost interest. The the guy we're talking about tonight is, is Chris Benoit. He, he came onto the scene well after I got out of it. So maybe you could tell me a bit about... What brought him from, you know, this small town circuit in Canada to basically one of the leading guys internationally for wrestling? Maybe talk through a bit of his history. Yeah, so um, I don't know a lot about before his Stampede Wrestling days, but that's kind of where he came on the map for me and a lot of other people was, um, you know, Stampede Wrestling in Calgary, which is famously run by Stu Hart, who is the father of... Bret Hart and Owen Hart, the entire uh, world-famous Hart family of wrestling. And Chris Benoit, um, yeah, really cut his chops in that uh, organization. And that style of wrestling is really technical. You know, the Hart family is really known for, um, you know, when the bell rings, putting on amazing technical matches and really understanding the psychology of wrestling. It wasn't about being big and massive and over the top like Hulk Hogan. Like in, in that league, like you put on great matches. And Chris Benoit's one of his biggest uh, influences was the Dynamite Kid who spent a ton of time in, um, in uh, Stampede uh, Championship Wrestling. And the Dynamite Kid was most famous for his tag team, the British Bulldogs, with Davy Boy Smith. Oh, yeah, I remember those guys. So Chris Benoit, he, originally from uh, Quebec, I believe, but he would eventually go through Stampede and be good enough to get recognized by the major leagues. Because I guess Stampede, I, you would consider that kind of like a minor league. Um, what Where did he end up? Like, Did he go from Stampede to straight into WWE, which I guess would be the biggest? His next most notable um, uh, place that he wrestled was World Championship Wrestling. So Benoit uh, started to become famous in World Championship Wrestling. And, you know, we'll kind of talk a bit more about who he met and interacted with there in a bit. But uh, that was his next big step, um, which then eventually, after WCW, led him to WWF 
or WWE um, as yeah. it is now. That gets so complicated because I oh, know it is WWF, but they were sued or, or challenged in some way by the World Wildlife Foundation yeah. and then changed yeah. their name to WWE for like World Wrestling Entertainment, which, yeah, it was it was a – that all happened even after I mm-hmm. fell out of, got out of it. But yeah. I, I know WCW and WWE and how that worked. There was the two companies that were basically competing for the spot as the biggest wrestling organization or whatever mm. on, on television in North America. And so Benoit ends up in WCW. And the story that we're going to tell about this is really going to be the rise and fall of Chris Benoit. When we get to the fall of Chris Benoit – the person that's going to be involved and go down with him is his wife, who in the end was Nancy Benoit. He met her in WCW in mm-hmm. in a weird way because she she also was – she wasn't a wrestler, but she was like a ringside entertainer yeah, they, in some way. They would have called them a, um, like a like a – almost like a female manager you would call a valet at the time. Okay. Um, at the time, mm-hmm. um, you know, when when – Chris uh, met Nancy. Um, a lot of the female roles in wrestling were as valets who would escort um, the male performer to the ring and, and support them at ringside and okay. um, also kind of be their manager as well. All right. So she was in WCW in that role. Uh, the the way she gets together with Chris Benoit was interesting. Uh, I watched the... Vice uh, made a, a, a documentary, The Dark Side of the Ring, and the way they told the story I found really captivating. The, correct me if I'm wrong, but Nancy was the valet or like the support person of another wrestler, and a storyline was made that Chris Benoit and this other wrestler had this big feud, and within the storyline, Nancy left the other wrestler to be with Chris, but in reality, that actually like happened at the same time. Yeah, so so Nancy was um, a couple with Kevin Sullivan, who was um, he played like more kind of a Prince of Darkness kind of character at the time, and and <laughs> and Nancy, um, I think the, her character's name was Fallen Angel. Um, I think it was based off of a comic book or something. Okay, and so they were a real life couple, and she was his, and then on screen. She was his valet, Kevin Sullivan's valet. So, okay, um, yeah. So then, in the storyline, uh, you know, Kevin Sullivan was feuding with Chris Benoit, and in the storyline that was kind of written out, Chris actually, you know, um, lures Nancy over to join him, and she leaves Kevin Sullivan in the storyline but then this as this storyline was playing out on TV behind the scenes it actually played out in real life as well <laughs> like the exact so, way yeah the exact way yeah so it was a really wild kind of uh situation to happen and that happens a lot in professional wrestling because a lot of times some of the most captivating storylines are based off of backstage reality <laughs> and then it brings this element of realism to it that really pops on the screen. So they tend to go back to that whenever there's something going on. They'd like to take about 50% or 25% of that reality and 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 make a storyline out of it. It just It's easier to perform. It feels more real. But this kind of happened in the opposite way where they started a storyline that then played itself out backstage 
you know, during and after the fact. Wow. And w- all accounts that I've heard of Chris Benoit, at least at this part of his point of his life, paints him to be this ultra dedicated guy, like completely committed to his career. Wrestling is the main part of his life and his career is, you know, beyond the number one priority. Like what kind of reputation did he have from like from a fan's point of view? Because you would have been, you know, following wrestling big time when he was rising up and getting to his prime. Like how did you see him at this point? Now I would never have put myself as like I would never put Chris Benoit as like in my top, you know, five favorite wrestlers of that era. Because I did mm-hmm. tend to lean more towards uh, uh, character-driven kind of performers. That um, Chris Benoit was not that kind of guy. His 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 name was the Canadian Crippler, and his character, which mm-hmm. typically is an extension of your regular personality, was just someone who bell to bell delivered. He was very respected amongst you know the the performers in the locker room. And he was respected amongst uh, wrestling fans because he was, when the match started, he was amazing. You know, his matches were great. They looked real. They were intense. So his matches were were great to watch. I always loved watching his matches. They were they were fast paced, but they weren't too fast. Mm-hmm. So that was that was something. And he was uh, incredibly respected. And not only as a performer, but as a dedicated individual as well as somebody who you could count on. To always deliver. And how big did he get? Like he, at this point, he would have been rising up in WCW, but was he among like the, the most popular guys? Like would you, would he be considered like a huge star? Like how big did he get at his prime? You would kind of like, um, you know, you would have your big, like say, you know, someone like Hulk Hogan is your, is, is a main event kind of uh, performer, but then you would have the upper kind of mid card um, kind of performers who you you would see Chris Benoit kind of uh, um, rest okay. in. He was high up on the ladder, but he was not. He could never get to that full main event status because he was shorter. Um, he was built, but he was still shorter, and he didn't have quite the look that you would normally see from a main eventer during that era. So that always kind of held him mm-hmm. back, probably. I can see that. Yeah. But his yeah, and his mic skills weren't great either. He could. He could give you a promo and he could do it, you know, as himself and he could give passion to it. But in my opinion, he had a hard time reaching into the camera and really captivating the audience with a promo. His biggest asset was in the ring, his matches, his technical wrestling. That's where he delivered the most. But, you know, and he ended up in WWE being a main eventer. Um, At this point in time, that's what I think was kind of keeping him from that top shelf was there any major thing that would have brought him from wcw to wwe or like was is that like considered like a upgrade or promotion or something or was that uneventful at the time that he finally went to wwe it was it was wwe or wwf was um beating wcw at that point uh consistently in the ratings so by the time he came over, it was a no-brainer. And also, he wasn't getting the chance to elevate himself any further in WCW. So he had to make a move if he wanted to elevate his career you know, in the future. So the WWF was the only logical step at that point. It was out of frustration 
with WCW not giving him any further opportunities. So at this point, Chris Benoit goes to the minor circuit, up to the major leagues. He ends up finding his place in WWE. I kind of, when I follow the story, I almost see this as kind of the peak in his life. Everything seems to be working out. Um, We're about to get to things stopping working out for him, but we should talk about Eddie Guerrero, who's a who's another wrestler that I think when I look at the story uh, and lay it in front of me, I see Eddie Guerrero and his friendship and relationship with Chris Benoit being a major piece of this whole puzzle. Tell me about who Eddie Guerrero is and how he fits into Chris Benoit's life at this point. So Eddie Guerrero um, was basically wrestling alongside Chris Benoit for a good portion of his career all through WCW and and probably a lot in like, um, yeah, they wrestled in Japan together and, and, and different things. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, you know, I think at first they kind of um, didn't get along, but then they, they worked together so much that they developed this professional relationship, which then blossomed into a, a friendship that became extremely close and extremely tight. So, and especially in WCW, like they had a lot of matches together in WCW, putting on amazing shows because Eddie Guerrero is in the same category as Chris Benoit in terms of the, the style of matches, the intensity, the technical ability, the realism. The matches they put on during that era in the 90s in WCW are still chalked up to being some of the best matches that you'll see anytime, any generation. So these guys formed a real, real bond. And they came over to WWF at the time together. So, yeah, they were thick as thieves. And um, Eddie Guerrero is one of those special wrestlers that only comes around once in a while. Again, he had some of the same limitations in terms of height and size that, that, uh, that Chris had. But something that Eddie had was intense charisma. Um, those two, their styles just meshed together. And so they became best friends. Yeah. And now what we know now is Eddie Guerrero. I'm sure I'm pronouncing it wrong. Eddie Guerrero had uh, a lot of personal problems. It sounds like he struggled with alcohol and drug abuse, yet he seemed to be able to keep his, his career on the right track. Like it didn't seem to have that big of effect. But what I, what I read about him is makes it sound like he was like a step away from a junkie but at the same time what i read about him makes him sound like a like a top tier athlete which uh, i find i found weird was it like was it known that he was having per- that Eddie Guerrero had personal problems like when he was at the top um it was definitely uh, known if you kind of followed the behind the scenes gossip so you would have an idea and and, and that was a really common problem in the industry was you're traveling a lot, you know, you're, you're wrestling, you know, 320 days a year, you're on the road constantly, you're in pain all the time. So this is a common story that you see all the time with wrestlers is they start to, to drink more. There's, there's a party scene constantly, uh, they start to get into prescription pills to help deal with the pain. And then it becomes the only way they can function, you know, to be able to deliver 
that quality night in and night out over and over and over again with no break and and with the road on top of that uh it happens all the time and he was yeah. one of the ones that fell victim to that yeah and it kind of makes sense when you think of the life of like a f- professional wrestler it, it's somewhere between like being a professional athlete a rock star an actor and like a carny like because mm. you're just you're always going from city to city and I could I could see how those all those social problems would be all swirled up within it, but it eventually came to be too much for Eddie Guerrero. You know the hard life on the road. Um, any history he may have had with substance abuse may have played into it, but eventually Eddie Guerrero would meet his end due to I think it was, like it was a heart disease. Yeah, that eventually took him. Yeah, he, I think he just he dropped dead like while still employed in like being a actively being a wrestler yeah he was on the road it was in a hotel room um and he he wasn't nobody was hearing from him and then they um he wasn't i think i think the hotel was calling his room for a wake-up call and and yes and he wasn't answering and then they got a hold of uh his nephew chavo guerrero who's another wrestler and they broke into the room because he because they knew that he was in there because the chain was was linked on the other side. Oh yeah. You know the 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 chains you see on a hotel door. And so yeah, so anyway, they went in and they found him on the floor in the bathroom and and then after a, um an autopsy it turned out to be heart disease. Wow. And which I'm sure, you know, was brought on by the lifestyle that he was living. I'm not a physician so i'm not you know 100 percent on that but oh um, you're not a physician so i should have told you that before we recorded i just assumed you were a physician mm-hmm. um we, so we talked earlier of how uh, how tight of a connection eddie and chris benoit had after eddie guerrero died th- there was like a this clip that i saw that was so touching it was I don't even know if touching is the right word, but the WWE did like a special to memorialize him on TV and they had different wrestlers and professionals kind of coming on and talking about Eddie and the impact he had on their lives. When the camera goes to Chris Benoit, it's like he's completely fallen apart. Mm-hmm. He can You can hardly make him out. He's crying so hard. It's obvious how close those two were. Eddie Guerrero is my best friend. Um, uh, we laughed together, cried together, you know, fought each other. We've, we've, we've been up and down each and every mountain, each and every highway. He was the one friend that I had that I, that I could go to and pour my heart out to. If I was going through something, if, if, I, if I had a, a personal issue or a personal problem, you know that he would understand and, and he, would, he, would, he would talk me out of it. Eddie was, was that kind of friend to me. And Eddie, I, I know, I know that that you you're in a better place, and I know that you're looking down on me right now. And I want you to know that I love you. I miss you. <laughs> Eddie, you made. <laughs> 
You made such a great impression on, on my life. And I want to thank you for everything you've ever given me. And I want to thank you from my heart and tell you that I love you and I'll never forget you. And I will see each other again. I love you, Eddie. <laughs> And that's the thing about Chris Benoit is he always kept his cards really close to his chest. So he never really gave off that kind of emotion generally. He was, you know, reserved and quiet and Mm -hmm. he was so um, shaken and upset by the passing of Eddie Guerrero that uh, he couldn't even keep it together on, you know, television. He was just, he was, after that, Memorial, like he was constantly uh, shaken up by this thing more so than than anybody else was. Like everybody else was obviously sad about Eddie Guerrero passing, um, but there was something about the relationship with him and um, Chris Benoit that had Chris just completely devastated. Yeah, and it's and it seems like he never Chris Benoit really never got over it, and obviously he had. Like he needed to like see a psychiatrist or something because it seems all the all the clips that I hear of people talking about Chris Benoit describe him being like completely changed after Eddie's death. He was more withdrawn. Mm-hmm. He seemed you know to even be getting like paranoid, and it, it sounds to me like he was just falling into like a depression or something. Like it's, but th- that can it, it makes sense when you lose someone that close to you. Um, and we've heard his. At this point, Chris Benoit is married to Nancy, who we got with earlier, and we heard that story. But I think I believe Nancy mm-hmm. was even encouraging him to take time off wrestling. You know, get your look after yourself because you're you know you're a mess about this. Yeah, and that's kind of um, when you're working that kind of a job and you're on the road with these other wrestlers, you see them more than you see your family. Mm-hmm. And you're constantly, you're driving with them, you're sharing hotel rooms with them, you're sharing your life. Like everything that's happening in your life is happening with that person. So when you get close to somebody in that industry, the way that Eddie and Chris were close, they're with each other 24-7. So it's, it's when you think of it that way, it's not surprising that he would be hit harder than other people by the death of, of Eddie. But you could also tell that something wasn't right. You know, he he couldn't stop crying. He couldn't seem to find a way to cope with this situation. And that's really what's going to lead us to the the main topic we're discussing, which is the crime that would end uh, several lives, including Chris Benoit's. Let's kind of talk through initially how this plays out. So Chris Benoit is... To begin a uh, like a tour, we'll call it like a wrestling tour, where they're going to do separate you know events, and I believe it was going to be in Texas. And we mentioned Chavo earlier, who was the cousin or the nephew of Eddie Guerrera. It's the events that lead that that first show signs that something was wrong. Was Chavo was supposed to pick up Chris Benoit at the airport. But rather than pick him up, he got a call from Chris Benoit. I believe it was initially a voicemail saying, I'm, I slept in, I missed my flight, I'm going to book a later flight. But eventually when they get in contact with each other, what Chris Benoit would say is that my wife, Nancy, 
and their young son, he said they were both sick with food poisoning. They had to go to the hospital. You know, I'm, go- I'm going to be late. I'm going to book a, a book a later flight. And Chavo seemed to be okay with it. And Chris Benoit ended the end of the call with kind of an unusual, like, I love you, Chavo. Mm-hmm. And that's how the call ended, which, uh, I don't know, in hindsight, it just, it seems weird. Like, you, you know, when you have a close friend that you talk to and they say something that just seems odd, like, I love you at the end of a call, like, I could see how that would kind of stand out. But yeah. that's really how this starts. And I'm sure the tone in his voice also probably made it weird to, like, is. I could say to you, oh, I love you, you know, and it wouldn't seem weird. But if I had a tone in my voice that was, you know, very yeah, serious, just, you know, you'd be able to tell. When you know someone. Yeah. yeah when you know someone, you could t- I could tell right away if there was something up if I was when I'm talking yeah. to you. Anyway, but that phone call, not weird enough to really throw up any alarms or anything like that. They were planning to get him at the airport, I believe, the next morning. But what happens is throughout that night. Chavo and several other people involved in WWE start getting text messages from both Chris Benoit and Nancy's phone. Like this is in the middle of the night. I think Chavo was interviewed and he described seeing the seeing the message come in and he just in the on his phone in the middle of the night. And he just kind of looked at it and went back to sleep, not thinking much about it. But these messages, I don't know if you have them in front of you there. It's, it's two main messages he was he was sending. Yeah, it's the dogs are in the enclosed pool area. Garage side door is open. And then the other one said, my physical address is 130 Green Meadow Lane. Yeah, and, and again, he was sending it from both his and his wife's phone to multiple people. I, it's hard for me to say because I'm looking at this with the benefit of hindsight, but... To me, like if I got a text from you that said that, I would immediately be like, "What the heck is going on?" That seems yeah. Kind of, or you just kind of weird. You could assume that it was a mistaken, like they texted the wrong number or something. Like they meant to text yeah, somebody true. else. And and if it was four in the morning and I saw a message from you and I managed to look at it, I'd be so kind of out of it that it probably wouldn't make a lot of sense anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but regardless. The phone call wasn't enough to do it. Those text messages weren't enough to do it, it being throw the red flags up um, and cause uh, panic. But what ends up happening is the guys, uh, Chavo Guerrero and others, go to the airport to pick up Chris Benoit right when they were supposed to, when it had previously been planned. And he doesn't show up at the airport. They make several calls. They can't get him. He's not responding to texts. And it's not like a, a... a couple of friends going to hang out like they have a major event that's going to be on tv that night is my understanding yeah i think it is a pay-per-view event that they're supposed to be that he's supposed to be at mm-hmm. so that's a big deal because you know at that, at that time people would be at home would be paying you know 50 or 60 dollars uh, just to watch that one event at home and mm-hmm. then you know there'd be a, an arena filled with people who are paying probably a hundred, a hundred and fifty dollars a ticket. Yeah, and Ben was one of the featured performers on this event, so he's yeah, yeah. At this point in time, he's he's on the upper end of the card. You know, he's made it to that kind of um, elevated uh, status in WWE. So those those text messages 
would have been Saturday into Saturday night. The event, the pay-per-view we just talked about was planned for Sunday night. Um, when he doesn't show up at the airport that Sunday morning, that's when panic starts. And what WWE does is they reach out to the police in the town that Benoit and his wife are living in. At this point, he's not living in Canada. He's in Fayetteville, Georgia. They phone mm. the police there uh, basically requesting a wellness check. You know, we have a major entertainer who has a major event tonight. No one can reach him. This is on. This is unusual and not like him. We want someone to go make sure he's okay. From there, police respond uh, initially, and I can understand this. They would have been going there thinking he's probably, you know, um, sick or slept in or passed mm. out drunk or something like that. Like that would have. That would be the normal result of a welfare check. I bet. You know, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're like, from from their experience, these typically is somebody, yeah, they were having drinks the night before, they slept in, and, mm-hmm. you know, so that, that's what they're probably expecting. Yeah. And as they show up, as the police show up, they, they are met by the neighbor, Benoit's neighbor, and... She, it was a woman. She just happened to be outside. And as the police are going towards the house, there's a fenced-in area, just like the, tech, the text messages said, with some big dogs. He had like the – I don't know what breed it is, but the huge dogs that I'm scared of. Um, and I think they were pro- – they were like a li- the police were a little hesitant to go in this fenced-in area with those dogs. And the neighbor offered to – like, oh, I, I look after the dogs all the time. I'll, you know, I'll bring them in the house and you can go in and do your thing. Yeah. They let her do that. She walks in. The dogs follow her, walk behind her. And apparently this, what I read was that the side door of his house was open. And she just walks in the house with the dogs. And the police are just kind of standing there for a few minutes. And then she just comes out of the house screaming, Daniel's dead. Daniel's in there. Daniel's dead. And Daniel is Chris and Nancy's young son. He was like seven or eight years old. Um, of course, then police take over the scene put up the police tape and go in there and immediately they realize something bad is happening. They can, they, the police officers who were interviewed about this described a a smell in the house. So they're walking Mm -hmm. into a house with the smell of death in the air. Yeah. And from their experience, you know, probably they knew what they were kind of, once they smelled that, that they were probably knew what they were walking into. Mm -hmm. Um, in short, without getting into the, the gory parts, is they find their son, Daniel. He's deceased in his bed. Nancy, Chris Benoit's wife, is rolled in a carpet and deceased in their bedroom. And they do find Chris. And this story, I, I, I could just picture this in my head, and it's very eerie, is... When they searched the house, there was like this gym in the basement that he used to work out in. And all of the walls for the gym were covered in in mirrors. So it kind of, when you went in there, it had like the effect of like a house of mirrors. Like you couldn't really t- tell where things were. It definitely would have created an eerie look for the, yeah. for the people yeah. finding his body. Yeah, because when they walked in, they didn't actually see him, but they saw him being reflected in the mirrors. And it, he had, mm-hmm. well, I guess the word would be hung himself, but he had done it not by hanging like from a ceiling. He used gym equipment and kind of designed this thing to basically have the have himself strangled um, on a gym machine. Yeah. Yeah. So at, at this point, 
it's the three the the family is is dead it's him deceased apparently by his own hand in the basement his son in bed his wife rolled up in a carpet in their bedroom Mm -hmm. yeah it's a horrific scene and it's 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 one of those things that you think you'd only see in a movie Mm -hmm. but uh it's i can't imagine what it was like to to find that um you know and especially from a world famous athlete entertainer i can't imagine what it was like yeah you know, as what happens next, yeah, I'm always interested in you know how media and news covers kind of major events. What happens next in the story is just baffling to me. Is so there's the major wrestling event Sunday night. It goes on without Chris Benoit being involved because he didn't show up. They had another wrestler fill in for him, and you know the event went on. So that was a Sunday night pay per view, but Monday night is just a big night for wrestling on television that like they have Monday night raw, which is like a major television program where on Monday nights, the you know wrestling occurs. Um, yeah. And that goes on like that. Monday night raw is a three sixty five kind of it's, it's, it's on every Monday night. There's no off season, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Okay. And so Monday night raw is happening no matter what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, that that show is airing in some format, mm-hmm. you know, um, whether, you know, people don't like it or not. Yeah. You know. Well, what ends up happening is like the timing was just bad for as far as creating a show, because WWE and the higher ups had only found out about Chris's death like that Sunday night going into Monday morning was when they learned about it. But they had no idea what happened how he died. All they knew was that he didn't show up for the event and he was found dead. And the decision is made by the WWE to change the format of Monday nights, Monday night raw to instead make it like a memorial tribute to Chris Benoit that included like celebrities and all the major wrestlers like talking about much like we we heard about with they did for Eddie Guerrero is it's right. the, it's just a wrestler the different wrestlers like sitting in front of a camera you know crying about this great amazing guy who left such a great impact on their life they didn't know what had happened and what he had done and they made the very unfortunate decision to do this memorial tribute yeah, definitely in hindsight it was not a great uh, great idea. And this kind of um memorial is very common when a professional wrestler passes away suddenly. And when that mm-hmm. happens, the very next televised event, they have a memorial for that performer. And so when they found out that that Chris Benoit had passed away, it, it, it just happens every time that they wouldn't even have sat down to think, should we? They would have immediately said, Monday Night Raw is a tribute to Chris. Good evening. Tonight, this arena here in Corpus Christi, Texas, was to have been filled to capacity with enthusiastic WWE fans. Tonight's storyline was to have been the 
alleged demise of my character, Mr. McMahon. However, in reality, WWE superstar Chris Benoit, his wife Nancy, and their son Daniel are dead. Their bodies were discovered this afternoon in their new suburban Atlanta home. The authorities are undergoing an investigation. We here in the WWE can only offer our condolences and the only other thing we can do at this moment is tonight pay tribute to Chris Benoit. We'll offer you some of the most memorable moments in Chris's professional life and you'll hear tonight comments from his fellow performers, those here who loved Chris and admired him so much. So tonight will be a three-hour tribute to one of the greatest WWE superstars of all time. Tonight will be a tribute to Chris Benoit. So in the end, it was like, I think it was a couple hours long just a tribute to the guy's life. And it almost like as the thing ended is when they began to find out that it was being investigated as a murder-suicide. And not only was Chris Benoit dead, but his wife and young son were. And I can only imagine the faces in the room when, you know, when that got to the higher-ups at WWE who had just aired a memorial tribute to him. I, uh, I, I don't know what it would have been like in that boardroom of, like, what have we done? There's no way around it. This is a huge... PR disaster. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and it's 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 a nightmare. They end up the next event that they that they aired that WWE aired is like the last time they say his name. It pretty much starts with Vince McMahon who's like the main guy of WWE addresses the audience and basically says we won't be talking about Chris Benoit. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Last night on Monday Night Raw, the WWE presented a special tribute show, recognizing the career of Chris Benoit. However, now some 26 hours later, the facts of this horrific tragedy are now apparent. Therefore, other than my comments, there will be no mention of Mr. Benoit's name tonight. On the contrary, tonight's show will be dedicated to everyone who has been affected by this terrible incident. This evening marks the first step of the healing process. Tonight, WWE performers will do what they do better than anyone else in the world, entertain you. And from that point on, his name was is like off limits and he's erased from oh. you know, WWE history. Completely erased. Like you don't see an image of him um, you don't see his name mentioned like anything that any like release of a of a DVD or, or video set was any match that had Chris in it was taken out and you couldn't find a trace of him in the company records whatsoever. Yeah, they even did like updates for the video games that had already been released. So that way when you're like your Xbox or whatever connected to the internet, it would apply an update that would remove him from the games in some cases. So they were in 
what I've heard is that the wrestlers were all instructed to like, you know, never make reference to him. You know, he doesn't exist basically. And, and I completely understand why they would do that. It's just, it's notable because it's such a, a change in course from, you know, the memorial tribute that they had just aired days prior, foolishly, in my opinion. I find that one a complicated one because at the time, you know, all they knew, or at least as far as I know anyway, they all they knew was that he had died. And like that, to me, it was so, that was such standard practice to do a memorial the, the very next night that who would have stopped and thought? Who would have possibly had the foresight to say, let's wait until the following week so we have details? Like, nobody would have imagined, based off of what they knew about Chris going into that memorial, that he would have done something like that. Nobody, there was no, like, you might have some people who were really close that maybe, um, you know, really close to the family and, and knew there was a bit of... Uh, uh, weirdness going on with him that maybe they weren't surprised but the general opinion of him was extremely positive people respected him and nobody um, with the exception of maybe a small few would have thought he would ever do something like that yeah I, I guess you're right and it's when word gets out he's deceased it's not like they could run raw and not mention it and then if they're going to mention it, you can't just not make a big deal. Just like, oh, uh, the, one of the main people died and, you know, we're going to do something soon. I guess they were kind of backed into a corner. Yeah, absolutely. Because he was a main performer on that show. To have, to try and to do a program with him just dying, them not knowing the details and just assuming that, you know, maybe he's died of natural causes. Maybe he's died of a drug overdose. Maybe he's died of, of a number of other ways. So there's just no way that they would have thought, Oh, maybe we should wait in case this is a murder suicide. Like it's, it wasn't even a possibility to them at the time. It was, of course, we're going to do a memorial because if we don't do a memorial, then we'll be criticized for that too. So, um, and then once the, the the news came out of what really happened, they just struck him from the record and never mentioned him again. And then that was that. Yeah, and I guess that makes sense. But they were dealt a pretty bad hand that Monday night needing to do something. Sorry to pull you away from the episode, but I want to take a moment to thank the subscribers of the Nighttime Premium feed, as it's their support that makes this show possible. If any of you listening enjoy Nighttime and aren't subscribed to the Premium feed, let me take a quick moment and explain what you're missing. For about the price of a cup of coffee, you can subscribe to a different podcast feed in which the episodes are posted earlier than here in the free feed and are done without any advertising. But there's more benefits to the premium feed than simply better versions of the free content. The premium feed also includes post-show discussions and a variety of additional content that will take you even further into the rabbit holes. So if you got a couple dollars to pitch in towards the creation of Nighttime, the premium feed is for you. You can access the premium feed at patreon.com 
slash nighttime podcast. So with that said, again, a huge thanks to all subscribers to the premium feed and a thank you to everyone else listening for considering it. Now, let's get back to the episode. We, pre- we have a pretty good idea now of what went on in the house, although there's still a ton of questions. What we know is that Friday, so so the actual event that he didn't show up for was Sunday night. So just to give perspective here. So Friday night, Chris and his young son, Daniel, have a barbecue. Later on that night, we know that Chris and his wife, Nancy, had a fight. It's believed that at that point, Friday night is when he killed her. Um, and the way he did it was with, it is kind of horrible to think about as any way to kill someone would be, but he did it with a phone cord in his knee against her back. She was found with like severe bruising on her lower back and was strangled with a phone cord. So what they think is that he used his knee and he wraps her in a carpet Friday night and lays a Bible near her. He was a real religious guy, apparently, but he missed the section about killing people. Um, the next Saturday... His, again, he's now alone in the house with his son. The next day, Saturday, fortunately, he drugged his son with Xanax uh, before suffocating him in his bed. So his son hopefully doesn't realize or didn't realize, you know, what happened to his mother or what happened to what his dad was doing to him. Is the only way I can, you know, the best thing I can say about that. It's later on in the day that he phones um, Chavo and says, you know, my wife and son are sick. I'm going to bring him to the hospital. I'm going to rebook the flight or whatever. That's when that happens. That night, Saturday night, he goes to sleep in the house with his dead son and wife in the house. Sunday morning, he gets up and what's known about his Sunday morning is weird. He, they found like computer records showing things he was Googling. He was Googling stories from the Bible about I don't, I don't know the Bible as well as, as I should, I suppose. I shouldn't even say that. I don't know the Bible well, but it's about the stories of the prophet Elijah, who's a young boy who like died and was resurrected. He was like Googling stuff about this resurrection of a young boy, which is pretty eerie considering his, his son's dead in the house. Later on Sunday, he drinks a bottle of wine and kills himself with the gym equipment. So that's pretty much what's known about what went on in the house in the weekend. But that's really, that tells you enough to give you a good idea, but there's still a ton of questions and a ton of little mysteries within there. One thing I found eerie is in the crime scene, like in his son's bedroom, there's like a massive knife in the room. Yeah, it's like under the bed or something? Yeah, just like on the floor, just pushed slightly under the bed. And it's... Yeah. It's... uh, His his son was died by suffocation, but I just... I don't know what the knife was doing in there. It may mean nothing, but it's Mm. just... When you see crime scene photos of the knife laying under the bed, it's like, what the heck was going on? But in the end, it's... um, Something really, really dark went on within Chris Benoit and definitely within that that house. 
Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 I, I try not to think too much about how dark it would have been over those two days or whatever it was. Like, I can't, oh my, it's, it's hard to think about. Like, yeah, it's unbelievable. I'm sure this comes up a lot when someone does something horrible is people saying like, he wasn't the type of guy that would do that. I would never have guessed he could do that. He wasn't capable of doing that. And that points to like questioning what actually went on. Like what was his motivation? What caused him to do this? Mm -hmm. And that almost opens this whole other door to this story because there's kind of several things you can point at as being either responsible or playing a large role in it that all seem pretty likely. We can talk through some of them, but just to summarize, it's really, he is known to be a steroid user since like high school, which is a, yeah. you know, a big part of wrestling. And everybody who knows about steroids knows about roid rage and gets the concept of that. So that's one thing people look at. Another thing. Yeah, that was the first thing that people jumped to um, in the early stages of the story mm -hmm. in the media was, you know, roid rage and, and um, you know, the history of, of steroids in the wrestling business mm -hmm. was um, something that the WWE was being attacked for in the early stages mm -hmm. of the story. And and. Uh, yeah, so that was that was the very first thing that people went to. Yeah, and there was steroids found in his home. Like it was it was no secret or, or question that he was a heavy user, and that, yeah. like you said, that led to some heavy criticism of WWE and their testing practices for their entertainers and whatnot. So that was one thing. But then the other is Chris Benoit, like you said, heavily athletic and tons of action in his matches he took a lot of bumps during his career and the autopsy his autopsy had shown that he had severe brain damage and brain injury from repeated concussions and that can have you know all sorts of horrible effects on your mental state and he even and a, a kind of a telling thing is before this all happened, Chris Benoit was actively trying to connect with people who were researching the effects of brain damage from concussions. Like he, he seemed to know it was a problem. Yeah, he could probably tell that something wasn't right. Mm -hmm. um, and when you look back at his career and you look back at the chair shots that he would take to the head, not just him, but every wrestler during that era. Mm -hmm. uh, took chair shots, steel chair shots directly to the head. And this is another misconception um, by people who maybe don't watch professional wrestling a lot or at all. Uh, they see the chair shots and they think it's a, a fake chair or it's a, it's a staged kind of prop chair or something like that. But those are real steel chairs. And they're really connecting with those because... It's kind of like a, um, almost like a rite of passage or like a kind of a, a macho kind of thing is, is you have to take the chair shot head on and you need the sound and you need the impact. And if you get busted open, all the better. So those are real chairs and they are swinging them as hard as they can. And 
And you're taking those during the 90s and the early 2000s, you were taking chair shots all the time to the head. <laughs> and to think about it now, chair shots have been banned to the head. Now, when you see someone take a chair shot, it's to the back because it absorbs the impact a lot more. So there's less likely to cause permanent damage. But so you're no longer allowed to, uh, to, to hit somebody in the head with a chair. And if you do, you're fined uh, quite a bit. Wow. Because um, that was such a big thing when, when I was a kid watching wrestling. It was They were always hitting each other over the head with chairs. And uh, Always. And when you were a kid, I always kind of assumed that they had fake chairs. Yeah, me too. But, like, I, but then when I got older and started to kind of um, read up about the business a lot more, the kind of behind-the-scenes stuff, you realize these are real chairs and they are hitting them, hitting each other as hard as they can. Yeah, and it's not always about, like, when people say wrestling is fake and whatnot, it's not always about, like, the punches completely missing and the kicks missing and the slams, you know, not doing anything. They train in a way to, in a lot of cases, still connect but do the least amount of damage. So I guess, like, smacking someone over the head with a chair... They, they were probably trying to find the way to do it as safe as possible. But at the end of the day, you're still a guy getting smacked over the head with a chair, you know, 25 times a year or something like that. If not, yeah, more. it doesn't matter. doesn't matter how you take it. There's a sweet spot that you can that they say you can hit, you know, where it's kind of, um, you know, easier, I guess. But um, but all they're concerned about is the impact, the sound, the look. Mm-hmm. You know, their welfare is is, is second or third on the list. Yeah. Then, then another thing specific to Chris Benoit when you talk about concussions and brain injury and brain damage is, and this is always a cool thing, but every wrestler kind of has like their finishing move, like the, the main move they do to, you know, when their opponents weaken to finish them off or whatever. Um, his was seen as one of the more dangerous moves because it was, he would jump like he would do like a flying headbutt. He would jump off of the top of the ropes and headbutt a downed opponent. I'm sure like if, if he did that move 25 times a year, I'm sure he probably missed connecting with their head 24 times a year. But if you jumped off of, you know, say like a three or four foot high thing and just landed on someone forehead to forehead, like that would, for me, if like if I did that, I think I'd be in the hospital for six months before I'd be able to like get out. Yeah, and he would do that move every night. Mm-hmm. So he's wrestling, you know, probably 300, maybe 320 nights a year at that time or throughout his career. You know, so he's doing that flying headbutt constantly. And that was a move that he got from the Dynamite Kid that we talked about earlier from Stampede Wrestling and the uh, British Bulldogs. Um, that was a move that the Dynamite Kid did. And the Dynamite Kid uh, ended up in a wheelchair. You know, that's kind of... These moves, although they try to perform them in the safest way they can, um, still their number one priority is making it look as real as they can. And you do that, you know, as as many times through the year as as these performers do. That's going to take a massive toll on your body. Mm -hmm. So he had the way I see this story playing out is so Chris Benoit had, in my mind anyway, likely was suffering some effects of brain injury. 
He likely was f- uh, feeling some effects of years of steroid abuse. He was, t- and he was also taking testosterone, which is not uncommon for people who've taken steroids. Your body's not producing as much testosterone, so he had stuff going on medically, stuff going on with his brain. In most cases, he had the, in or most likely, I should say, not in most cases, most likely, he had the death of his best friend, who is more like the relationship seems more like brothers or something when Eddie Guerrero died. So that likely had some of the same effect of a rug being pulled out from under him. But on top of that, he also um, seemed to have a troubled relationship with his wife, Nancy. She had at one point, not long before this, she had a restraining order against him for uh, after he assaulted her but not a lot's known about it it seemed like they kept it pretty hush hush and i haven't read too much about what exactly happened but i do know that he physically attacked her and ended up with uh, at least temporarily with a restraining order before they got back together but all in all like it the picture this story paints is this hurricane spinning around chris benoit who is a huge celebrity worth millions of dollars at the height of his career with other factors coming into play that eventually lead to just an explosion of tragedy that leaves him dead, his wife dead, and most tragically, his young son dead, who, you know, that part of the story, I can't even, I don't even like to think about that, but it's, um, the whole thing is is just a nightmare. And, and as you said today, if you were a wrestling fan, even the most diehard wrestling fan that watches every little bit of WWE and reads everything it publishes, you would never know Chris Benoit exists because they have completely blocked him from, you know, any mention. Even the old DVDs and stuff they sell, his, you know, his images removed or his matches are cut. Like it, it must be hard because it's they're a media company who produces a ton of content. To remove a major part of that, you know, that must be tough. Yeah, I can't. I mean, they have a massive team of editors, I'm sure, that, you know, probably went into to overtime to be able to to move as fast as possible to to erase him from the record. So um, it's it's a really weird story in the sense that there's so many angles to it, like the the brain damage and the, you know, the 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 career and the like the 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 horrific crimes like because you have people that you know backstage were so close to Chris and then he he was this person that they looked up to you know and he has a son from another wife um, I think his first wife who's still alive and he's yeah David I believe he's living out west in Canada and it looks just like Chris Benoit looks just like him and and still loves wrestling and still loves his dad you know yeah I looked at uh, I looked up his son his older son David and who wasn't living with him with Chris at the time of these this murder murders but um his older oldest son David when I found him it's like all the photos are him with other wrestlers like other major wrestlers that would have been Chris Benoit's you know friends and stuff but he's still very much involved in it yeah uh, which must be yeah. very hard for him to you know deal with that well like to have that shadow 
Yeah, yeah. Like his life is is forever kind of shadowed by what his father did, you know, to his brother and to Nancy. And and then you have the the argument of separating the art from the that the performer creates to the person. It's like when you go back and watch those matches, they're still amazing matches, you know, if you can if you can get a hold of one. But then there's this, you know, a whole other story on top of it of the murders and and what Chris ended up doing. And then you think about the reasons why, you know, the you know, the, the brain damage and the and the, the toll in his body over years of, of wrestling and it's just so complicated. It's not, it's it's not as cut and dry as you would like something like this to be. You would like to say evil and good and make it simple, but it's it's not. It's yeah, it's, it's never that way. No. And and like the the idea like the amount of toll like the toll wrestling would take on your body. I'm sure you've seen the movie The Wrestler. Yeah. Um, yeah. That that movie was so good and it really highlights what these guys go through although the movie the wrestler more so shows like the 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 life of like an aging wrestler who can't let it go but yeah. it just in that career um it the old like uh, now as an adult looking at what life uh, as a wrestler would be it's uh it's definitely not what i would have expected as a young kid um watching wrestling no it's very glamorized when you're when you're a child watching it these are superheroes and you know they're they're kings and queens, but when you get older and you start to see these real life stories play out and learn about them, you realize what a tough industry that is, and like these wrestlers love it so much that they're willing to put their bodies and their lives and their families through all that you know through the the constant constantly you know being on the road and never being home, the pain. You know, the the hotels, the the, you know, drug abuse, the everything that comes along with them, the injuries like, you know, and they all say, I love this business. I love it. I, I wouldn't do anything else. I'll do anything for this business. It's it's a real, you know, it's it's a different kind of animal altogether. And, you know, but then this particular story is the worst kind of tragedy that I've read about in, in, in wrestling. I want to end by saying that this story is simply awful. I try to avoid covering anything that involves crimes against children, as it really takes a lot out of me to even consider it. And that's why Aaron and I avoided speaking too much about what may have actually happened in the Benoit house. But why and how something like this can happen? Well, I only hope someone can figure it out, and that knowledge can go on to help prevent tragedies like this from happening in the future. So with that said, let's wrap this up. But before we do, I have some thanks. First of all, a big thanks to Aaron Corbett for again joining me here on Nighttime. But the most important thanks goes out to all the listeners of the show. Without your interest and your support, this show would have seen the light of day many moons ago. But that said, if you want to help keep the lights out here at nighttime, please subscribe to the premium feed, as it's what makes the show possible. And with that said, let me thank the newest subscribers to the premium feed Gary P., 
Halifax Zone, Stu Metz, and Angie M. Thank you for your generous support. And for anyone else out there who'd like to support the show but can't help financially, you can give me a big hand by simply liking and sharing the episodes on social media. And if any of you listening want to stay up to date with my activities, find me on social media. I use Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And my handle is at NighttimePod. And if you have any story ideas or want to give feedback on the show, you can reach me at nighttimepodcast.com slash contact. And until next time, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and check in on anyone who seems to be struggling with something. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Copyright Jordan Bonaparte.